0: A college professor turned globe-trotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show.
3: Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for the 133rd episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today, I had the pleasure of being joined by Eugene Lipoff, M.D., and Jamie Mustard. They are the co-authors of The Invisible Machine, The Startling Truth About Trauma, and The Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life. The publisher is ben Bala Books. Dr. Eugene Lipoff is a complex neurologist and has been called the Einstein of his field. He has discovered and invented the dual-systematic reset, or sympathetic reset, rather, the DSR, which was endorsed by President Obama in 2010. His research has about a 85 to 90 percent success rate in reducing the effects of trauma. Jamie Mustard is an artist, a futurist, a multimedia consultant and writer. His work is on the perception of the physical world. As an iconist, his passion is to teach the science and the art of obviousness, the anatomy of what causes any idea, art or message to stand out and take hold. Welcome to the show, Gene and Jamie. Thank you.
0: Eugene's on speakerphone in my office, so it's he's a, he's it, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a little, little Jerry rigged, but uh, I wanted us to be able to be together,
3: even if it was for a short time. He's in clinic right now. Absolutely. So, uh, Eugene, particularly from your end. Do you want to give a, a brief summary as to what you think the book's about? Right. <laughs> what? Well,
1: hopefully I know it's about
3: oh.
1: <laughs> oh. the Machine is that that's the term we're using that stands for sympathetic system of fight-of-flight system. So it pervades everywhere, and when it gets overactive, then people have symptoms. So what currently is called is try to change the name to PTSD, strength traumatic injury. So that the reason the book was written, I believe, is because I was able, I was fortunate enough to start treating people with PTSD successfully doing a Sympathetic blog that took about many years, that I was able to adopt, adopt it to treat people uh, for uh, PTSD rapidly, and then to modify the blog to call it now DSR, which is a more advanced version of it. And the book talks about the biology of it, but it also has real heart and it, it has real patient stories and how it changed their lives. Um, that's where Jerry came in. To organize it like that, you know, my particular part of the contribution was called please, science, and I think my life story of trauma hopefully will be, for people to get treated.
3: Yeah, and I, and I do want to come back to that in a moment, uh, Jamie. For your part, it, it is indeed as Gene is suggesting, unique to have a, a doctor and an artist uh, team up together on the book. Uh, from your perspective and your your part of the contribution, what uh, more do you want to say as to what the book is about?
0: My. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, an introduction, I, I think Eugene or Dr. Lipoff is being extremely humble. I think that, <laughs> I think that he has uh, disco- uh, pioneered and invented the most important m- medical breakthrough since the discovery of penicillin in 1926, uh, or that, excuse me, in 1928. Uh, I think that it dwarfs the polio vaccine in terms of lives that it can save. I think that um, we're living in a toxic society that we're not designed biologically to endure the stress that we, uh, that we live under as human beings in the modern world. And that maybe 40 to 50% of the U.S. and global population conservatively have a physical system in their body it's, that you can see on a brain scan. It's, it's as broken as a broken leg. That's why we call it the invisible machine because it's a, it's a machine like your leg, it's a machine part like your leg, you just can't see it, okay? And you can see it on a brain scan, and we're all walking around with the symptoms of running from a tiger. We have anxiety. We have mild paranoia. We, we have a sense of doom. We have hypervigilance, hyperarousal, all these kind of symptoms that you'd have if you were kind of threatened. And we and but we get, our body gets stuck in fight or flight. What uh, Dr. Libob has figured out how to do uh, is to reset the body's sympathetic nervous system to the pre trauma state. So we're no longer in fight or flight.
3: And okay. I, yeah, and and, and Eugene, um, if you want to briefly describe for us what the reset, the DSR, in, entails, I think that's important. I think Jamie's just done a great job laying out the significance of the book and how many people it can uh, make a difference for, but if you can describe the, the technique itself briefly.
1: Yeah, The patient's light on the table, equipment, and safety, clean yeah. off the neck, and I use ultrasound to figure out where we Go after I go. a bunch of different vessels in the neck, but we can avoid that by using uh, ultrasound. And then I sense a needle up under ultrasound Guys, We put in uh, a TV key, which is the same drug that we use for luminal pregnant, or if you do all it, you know, it's safe, been around forever. And the result is if you see. 10, 15, 20 minutes outside to the other side. A lot of times it works rapidly. And uh, my operative time is about five minutes. So it's pretty quick. The point, the thing I like about it, compliance is very high, right? Something comes in with the procedures that feel better. You don't have to take medications all day long. And you think what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to set that the pathetic to the pre-trauma state. So that we're not covering it up with something. We're actually... Trying to get to the bottom of the
3: problem. Yeah, no, I, I think the the efficacy is is amazing. The the quickness of uh, it taking effect is impressive. And having worked previously in my career, at one point as a, a attorney for consumer affairs, where we saw a lack, actually a lot of overuse and repetitive use without advantage in certain procedures, that this one can take hold so readily and well is is. Uh, Close to astonishing, quite honestly. It's it's amazing stuff. you one more thing, if I may. Sure.
1: Go patients, of course, after that. But so the, people talk about like what the kid is, not. The Jamie did great about explaining the biological phenomena. But let's walk through what trauma is. So if somebody has trauma many any kind. We wrote a paper last year that 22 different types of trauma all response to this procedure. So It's not trauma specific. But we'll the topic Trauma, occurs of any kind, it activates fight or flight system, causes a a When it's too much or over period of time, even black activity, whatever, uh, it produces over invasion of the sympathetic system, and it gets stuck in that position in the sense that there are extra nerve fibers of sympathetic starts which grow, and as long as been maintained. Than if it increases the norepinephrine level, which gives symptoms of PTSD in a continuous phase. So the local leukstatic in the neck, to reverse that, so a local leukstatic lasts eight hours and left years, and that's why such an exciting development from my perspective as an physiologist who well, I've seen elsewhere through this procedure, but the physiology, the physiology of that is pretty cool.
3: Yeah, no, I think as, as Jamie said earlier, you're, if anything, understating the 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 tremendous impact of of what you have here, uh, Jamie. You have yourself c- quite a a good knowledge firsthand of what the reset involves. Can you can you say anything that you want to add regarding the 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 patient experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the the problem this this thing's been around. He invented this twenty years ago. He really I think he published on it for the first time in two thousand eight. Abdama endorsed it within a couple of years of that. Um, it's been on Joe Rogan, 60 Minutes, CBS This Morning. It's been written up, Wired, countless papers. But whenever we see this, we see it at the extreme. We see it, you know, it's a 9-11 first responder, a Navy SEAL. You know, it. it, it we see it as something that people with extreme trauma do. The, the reality is, is that two things cause this biological change in the body, which is being stuck in fight or flight. Um, and we know, even though the entire world operates on this being this ambiguous disorder, any, with simple logic, we can understand that trauma would, of course, have to be biological, okay? If we beat a dog or a goat or a chicken or any animal, you're going to see two, two things happen. It's going to get really timid, uh, flight a flight, or really aggressive fight. Now, we don't have a sentient goat, okay? The goat does not have a disorder. We've known for 50 years or longer that we've somehow changed the biology of that animal. Human beings are no different but we continue to look at this thing like it's a mental issue when it's a physiological issue. Dr. Lipov discovered the source of that issue and the reset. The problem with it is it gets collapsed with all these other modalities. It's not. It's the difference between physical therapy and a broken leg. This is the broken leg. Almost everything else you could do, which is very valid. We need talk therapy. We need MDR. We need uh, psilocybin. We need all these things. These are therapies. This is the broken leg. As far as myself, I was somebody that experienced extreme trauma as a child, uh, parental abandonment, institutional environments, things you can't even imagine that are survivable uh, mentally. And uh, I never associated myself with trauma because where I grew up, you couldn't be a victim. Okay. I started looking back seven years ago, finally got therapy, got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, didn't really want to admit that, uh, but I eventually hugged the cactus and embraced it. Uh, Two and a half years ago, a little longer, I I braved COVID, in the middle of COVID I went and did this reset uh, in Chicago in the winter, and it was the most transformative thing I've ever done in my life. I felt comfortable in my body uh, and was able to live a solar existence for the first time in my life. That's what it it represents to me.
3: Sure. And and, and Gene, maybe one last question before we we let you go for your part. So I I want to kind of talk about two parts of trauma. One is uh, your family roots in Ukraine and being Jewish, uh, but also the stress, quite honestly, of being an inventor, because we all know that uh, one can run into skeptics and people who just seem to like to shoot things down at times. Uh, Can you maybe speak to to both of those aspects of of stress, if not outright trauma?
0: Yeah. So Eugene, you know, he's one of the most compassionate people I ever met. You know, we don't get along always perfectly. Doctor and artist It's an interesting (laughs) guy. Stephen Swalker just made a movie about that, about his, the, his parents, one being an engineer and one being an artist um, called Meet the Fablemans." But, uh, but I will say that he's the most compassionate human being I've ever met and the smartest human being I've ever met in terms of a scientist. And I live in a world where I get to revolve around incredibly smart people, right? Um, so one is, you know, he was born uh, in the Ukraine. He lives in, his dad was a physician who made less money than a butcher. And there was, a, you know, his friends, when he was growing up, came across an old Soviet ordinance outside of Kiev, and his father told him and them not to go back. He never went back, but his friends went and blow them, blew themselves to bits. <laughs> uh, you know, he grew up, his father worked in a TBI clinic under the crush of the Iron Curtain, where he saw people coughing up blood as his old childhood. You know, he, um, he, lit, he was not allowed to practice being a Jew because he was under the crush of the Iron Curtain. When he finally came to America and went to, I guess, uh, Northwestern, while he was doing his surgery residency, his mother killed herself under the care of a psychiatrist. It made him leery. He had to drop out of being a surgeon because he couldn't concentrate, and that's why he became an anesthesiologist, which in certain ways was less of a challenge for him and probably created the room for him to invent. If he were here, what he would tell you in terms of the stress of being an inventor is he would tell you the story of Semmelweis, which is who in the you know, late 19th century, mid to late 19th century, uh, was a doctor in Austria and Germany who went around telling people that but at that time, they thought that if a baby was five times more likely, a woman was five times more likely to die during childbirth if a baby was born in a hospital as opposed to at home. And they didn't know why. Um, at that time, they thought germs were transferred by smells, by odors. This guy, some i figured out maybe 1860, 1870, that he had germ theory. He figured out that, uh, that, that the doctors were not washing their hands between medical surgeries, cadaver uh, dissecting, and they'd run over and give birth to a baby. He started promoting this all over Austria and Germany. Uh, for his trouble, he was uh, stuck in a mental asylum where he was beaten to death six weeks later. So Eugene has had incredible, incredible pushback from what is a very simple obvious mechanism when you start to understand if you read the book and you start to understand how the nervous system works and that we it makes sense that we would all have to have an identical reaction to the threat of a tiger chasing us which is fight or flight um and and uh if it was a mental thing and it was kind of randomized we wouldn't survive as a species so so he he would tell you he's not you know he's not some wise and he how far what he's done in 20 years the military's doing 20 15, 20,000 of these a year. A private equity firm uh, in, three and a half years ago teamed up with him to open up clinics all over the world. They've got 35 clinics in the United States. I don't work for those guys. Uh, they're called Stella Center, stellacenter.com. But I will say they don't pay me. I'm not endorsing them. Beyond oh. this, uh, They use what I call the Stella protocols, which is all the modern protocols. If you're not getting this from Stella Center, you're not getting this. And so there's, because the shot is based off of a shot that was developed in 1926, so we know it's safe, um, if you're not getting the, the dual sympathetic reset uh, from uh, the Stella Center, you're not getting it. So I would, you know, I, I I only say that because that is the only place that has the protocols that has the predictable efficacy.
3: Yeah, no, I, I thank you for that answer, and particularly this story of what happened to the the doctor uh, who, you know, was, was put to death for his invention. Uh, that's just an amazing story. I'll, I want to go back to your your equal honesty regarding your own childhood and, and stress, because one of the things that really struck me in reading the book was, I think there's a lot of Americans who uh, just don't know how stressful, how traumatic uh, it can happen in a lot of places, but one of them is inner city life and the things that people are going through that I think people just are, are blind to, including legislators who make you know, the appropriations to help people out, if, you, if one could create an immersive experience for those people and try to get them to know what you know, what might it look like? What, what, what things are they just missing? Wow, what a question. What a question. Here's how I explain
0: it to people, and I want people to understand this, and we have all the time in the world, Dan, if you want to go a little longer, but I want people to understand this in a non-political way. Okay. But I'm going well, to use politicians to open up the question. Okay. If you take somebody like Al Gore, who's liberal or George W. Bush, who's a conservative and you make them president of the United States or by, you put them in political power. Well, these are guys, one's left, one's right, that grew up with extreme wealth. Okay. They're going to be like, unless you have the experience of poverty, you can't really understand it. Okay. <laughs> Just like, it's like, if that's a human nature with anything right? It's hard to have total empathy for something you've never seen or really experienced. When you have somebody like Bill Clinton, no matter what you think of his politics, you have a guy that grew up in a double wide, that then becomes a Rhodes Scholar and president. So he goes, he has a different kind of an arc, right? He's going to have a deeper understanding of people um, just because of his experience. He's gone from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich. So he's going to have a breadth of understanding that you can't, that doesn't go the other way. It's really, really hard unless you move to India you know, and work in a you know a, um, a, a mission or something it's really under, you have to live like that for a long time and and to answer the question, um so is it's it's pressure it's pressure upon pressure upon pressure you know you might you're worried you're worried about food, you're not getting the human touch or love or emotional needs that that are uh primal to our evolutionary biology. Um, you, in my case, I didn't go to school. Um, it's just a feeling of feeling anxious and concerned about the next day all the time, but you know, One of the things that I discuss, how I contributed to this, I was at Fort Bragg working on The Iconist, which you interviewed me for, my kind of Malcolm Gladwell-esque book, right, about why things stand out, perception of the physical world. And um, I got invited to speak there and I did some PTSD meetings and the guy that ran the Health Initiative Task Force there, Jeff Dardia, showed me the symptoms of operator syndrome, which is if you're overseas in Afghanistan and you never see a firefight, but you're there for two years, and you have the pressure of maybe an IED exploding or dying every day, and you're away from your family, just carrying that allostatic load, extreme chronic stress for too long, will permanently, will break this invisible machine. It'll turn you into chronic fight or flight. Human beings are designed to be in fight or flight for about 30 seconds. A tiger jumps out of nowhere. We either kill it or it kills us in 30 seconds, and then it's resolved. We're not designed to feel to be in, uh, in chronic fight-or-flight mode for more than just a blast. Okay, So if we carry extreme stress for too long, it also trips this machine. So when I first saw the symptoms of what chronic fight-or-flight is, 24 hours a day, 365 a year, seven days a week, the first time I saw those symptoms, they were symptomatic of operator syndrome, which is soldiers coming back from war, special operators coming back from war. And I didn't see soldiers when I first saw those symptoms. I saw the Mexican neighborhoods where I grew up in LA, the stress of that, the stress of, am I going to be able to provide for my family tomorrow? What if I get fired? What if I get pulled over? What if I get a ticket? You know, uh, and then how am I going to pay that $500 ticket? Like it just, these things add up in ways where you're just constantly thinking about how you're going to make it through the next day. Um, and it is... it's just a being soul crushed and being strained, stressed out. And, uh, and I could talk about the physiological effects in the body and how the phys the the science of this mechanism, but it just leaves you, uh, it puts you in a state where you're, you're that when you where you're just chronically stuck in fight or flight. So you're chronic. And those seven symptoms would be, those seven symptoms would be, uh, what would happen if a tiger were in front of you? Which would be you'd be anxious, you'd be mildly paranoid, you'd have a sense of doom, you'd be hypervigilant, hyper-aroused, you'd be reactive and have a hair trigger, you wouldn't be able to sleep. Twenty-five percent of these guys that come back from war have E.D, because you can't have sex if a tiger's chasing you. In the military, ultimately, you know, we're, we're in the military where we're trained to protect. If you feel like you're going to die at every moment, and that's what these nerves in your neck are telling your, your amygdala when it gets stuck. If you're feeling that that way, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you're feeling a certain way that you're, that you're only designed to really feel for about 30 to 90 seconds, and then you're supposed to calm down and go back to baseline.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's really striking. I Just the other day, because the Surgeon General put out a, an essay about the impact of loneliness, and the, the uh, comparison made in that case was that uh, enforced loneliness that you're not seeking is so corrosive to our physical and, frankly, mental health that's equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's just being lonely. That's before we're talking about, uh, you know, the the extreme anxiety and acute uh, state of vulnerability that you're describing. Yeah. So, I
0: mean, I think what I experienced as a kid, all of society is experiencing now of any and every class. And I can explain that. Gabor Maté just came out with a book called The Myth of Normal, where he talks about you know, um, if you were to invent a society to make people crazy, he would, he would invent this one. Okay. So the digital world is, has made the entire world be experiencing what I experienced as a child the last 20 years. And I could explain that, you know, connection, but you know, we're, we're not designed to feel, um, be in fight or flight for more than 30 to 90 seconds. And then we get away from it and then we either die or we come back to baseline five hours later. Well, if we carry chronic stress too long, which is the primary thing that causes this all over the world, the broken, invisible machine, um, or we have blunt force trauma that's too overwhelming as in a sexual assault, your buddy gets killed in front of you or a parent dies or something like that. Then uh, we stay locked in this way all the time. And if you're in the military where you're trained to protect, ultimate form of flight is suicide. Well, if you feel like you're going to die at every moment, or you, you know, like you have that feeling, even know, you don't know why, uh, you're going to want to kill yourself. I mean, we're not designed to feel like we're going to die all the time. So if we feel that way all the time, we're going to want to kill ourselves. Or if in the neighborhood where I grew up, the ultimate form of flight, where violence is maybe a little more acceptable, um, you're going to want to kill somebody, right? So ultimate fight fight, is suicide. Ultimate fight is violent and aggressive behavior or homicide. So you can be in a simple argument. You know, you have a, co- a police officer that has this because he's pulling over people every day and he doesn't know when that could be the person that's holding a gun. So he's carrying or she's carrying chronic stress, and then you have a guy that grows up in a poor neighborhood, who has the who has the crush a crushing weight of that, and so they both have systems in their in their nervous systems are telling their bodies all the time, even when they're at rest, eating, you know, a ham sandwich at home, watching Netflix. Uh, so they have they they get to an interaction that's a mild traffic interaction. Well, these nerves in their neck is telling their amygdala that this mild Traffic interaction is life or death. Uh, and so some so something horrific ensues from just a an innocuous encounter. And so much of what we're seeing in the world today, uh, in terms of reactivity and people from road rage to you know people getting frustrated with their children that don't even associate themselves with trauma, is coming because they have an overactive sympathetic nervous system. And all these other modalities help mitigate against it but the minute you're not doing yoga every day, it's you, the only way to reset it is to reset it. Like if I, and you could see this on a functional MRI. If I were to uh, scan someone's brain that's lived under chronic stress, and you can get this from having a distant father, a divorce, bullying, right? But if I were to scan somebody's brain that ha- is stuck in fight or flight, you'd see overactivity in their amygdala. I could do this simple, safe 10 minute procedure on them over two days, you could only do one side per day, and then I could scan their amygdala less than five out ten hours later the next day, and all of their uh, all of that overactivity would go away, and you'd see increased blood flow in the frontal cortex.
3: That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. Yeah, can I ask a question there? So, it, it, you know, I, I very much understand the the stress and the trauma, and it's it's extremely moving. Quite honestly, to hear what you are saying, I imagine for the people who once they've had this reset uh, to be in such a different place has to feel like it's the Wizard of Oz and they've landed in the the, the you know the the color part of the movie. Uh, it must be a tremendous, in its own way, uh, tremendously disorienting, uh, pleasurably. And, and now they have to cope with that in a way. I mean, how, how do they go forward after the reset emotionally? God, it's, your, it's such an astute
0: question, Dan, and nobody ever asks, okay? So, you know, in the case of certain guys that I've seen, like I, there was one guy uh, who's featured in the book who was, assault, who was sexually assaulted by his stepfather from 8 to 16. And the guy went to jail. Um, and he was, um, he, the guy looks like a Calvin Klein model. You never know there's anything wrong with him, but he's got a wife and kids and he was suicidal for 20 years and homicidal towards his father, stepfather for 30 years. Um, but the, the, you know, when you're special forces, this guy's active duty, special forces, they don't want crazy special forces guys out there. So there's an endless paycheck that was kind of keeping this guy alive through every therapy you can imagine. I mean, the Government gajillions on him. And he was still suicidal and homicidal. He went and did this 18 months ago. And just went back to his life. He's a normal guy. Well, in the case of him, he'd been doing therapies for 20 years. So it was like they all kicked in and he's just a guy. In most cases, it's more like, you know, that's not the case, right? So what this does is it frees you up so that the other modalities can work and work more effectively. So talk therapy, you know, we have, we are endless examples of like somebody going and doing the reset and all of a sudden their talk therapy, they're doing more in a week than they've done in a year. Okay, so that really astute um, observation, Dan. Like you need to once you free up um, access to your emotions, because if a tiger is chasing you, you're not going to be present with your emotions, your kids. You're not going to really be there because you have to be concerned with the tiger. So once that tiger goes away, because you've taken that out of the body, uh, it you know yeah, you're going to be experiencing joy for the first time. You're going to be experiencing, you're going to be experiencing life and seeing colors in a way that you haven't, right? But also, um, it's going to free you up to look at yourself. So th- that's where these other modalities become so important. It becomes important that you, uh, if you go to Stella Center, they're going to evaluate you and they're going to say, okay, let's get you on thought therapy. You know, they, they're going to, or, or um, they're going to be looking at things that one can do to then now process their emotion now that they have access to it. But not everybody needs that. A lot of people just go back to it, but I recommend it if you, you know, I recommend it.
3: Yeah, no, it, it, it's an adjustment. You're suddenly in a different place. It struck me that it, it's going to require its own unique and nuanced work to to move forward and You know, reap the full benefits of of, of the reset. W- one last question before I let you go here. Uh, you alluded to the, the myth of normal. I haven't read the book, know nothing about it, but I think we're on the same wavelength because I have been thinking a lot about essentially how traumatized large portions of our society are at this point um and if you want to conclude and i'll have a little bit of close to the episode after that but uh, that's my last question for you or my my last uh, uh shot at trying to uh you know get at some of the things that are going on here okay great
0: uh, i don't know i'll give this i'll give this the i'll more refer to this because i talk about it in the iconist uh but i do think but you know gabor touches on it in uh the myth of normal um Is this okay? The invisible, I I was thrown away as a child. Okay. Uh, That, you know, primates normally spend 85 to 95% of their time uh, touching, you know, if you're a chimp or gorilla, touching their parent for the first two to three years of life. That was true for humans all the way up through us being an agrarian society 300 years ago. So after 50,000 years of human evolution in the last two to 300 years, We've gone from touching our parent like any other primate for, you know, to you know, eighty-five percent of our waking hours or and sleeping hours to ten to fifteen percent in a normal household, and then for me it was zero percent. Well, even if it's ten to fifteen percent in an upper middle class household, our evolutionary biology is not designed to withstand that. That's massively stressful for a baby and a toddler. Okay, so that's already been existing. What's new in the last 20 years is this competition for attention and the extra comparison created by the digital world. You know, we're, we're all bombarded with about ten to 15,000 advertising messages a day, and now we as human beings are competing with that messaging for human connection. We, um, that's massively stressful in like a boiled frog kind of a way. We would never notice it or associate it as being traumatic. You add to that just the stresses of the modern world. What is the content of all that messaging? It's horrific. It's, it's The news is an attention economy that's constantly bashing us with the sky is falling because that's what sells soap and cereal. Okay? Um, you, you compound. Uh, uh, the, so that makes us feel like invisible and we're not totally kind of being heard. Um and then the 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 compare the, the, the just the the toxic comparison. When you see poor rural people without access to technology, they're not stressed out. It's when you have class stratification and then everyone can see it all the time. Well, it used to just be class, but now with the internet it's God that guy's going on a better vacation than me. He's got has got a prettier wife than me. His kids look happier than mine. His food looks better. Than That constant comparison creates a constant stress. And then you add on, the last part of that is really like, we're not designed to live in an artificial box, a synthetic box, get into a synthetic artificial roving box, go to another artificial box, be in it all day, um, and then drive back in that artificial box to the artificial box where we're going to go to sleep. Nature and animals mitigate against the overstress of the sympathetic nervous system. We don't have that equalizer in the modern world. So, when you start compounding all these things together, the news, the constant comparison, the digital overload of the messaging, the artificial environments, that creates a chronic allostatic load. And I think 40 to 50% of us have an overactive sympathetic nervous system. And we're doing all these other things rather than resetting the system. We're on psychotropics, we're on SSRIs, uh, we're doing yoga 24 hours a day, we're running seven days a week. Some of these things are healthy and good. Uh, but we it would be better if we would just reset the sympathetic nervous system and then live our lives and so i i and we piece all this apart in the book so you can understand your own coordinates where are you in the world you know you think you don't have trauma but i named seven symptoms and i would i would guarantee you at least 50 to 70% of the people when i went through the symptoms uh, probably said hey well that's me but i don't have trauma you know if you read the invisible machine i think you might understand And I don't normally, when I normally talk about ideas in a, I don't normally kind of push a book. I normally push my ideas and I don't care if people buy the book, but this is such a chronic, ubiquitous problem, Dan, that I would like people to understand their coordinates.
3: Yeah. And that's, that's what I took from the book, that it is chronic, it is ubiquitous. It is crucial to recognize what one is suffering from and to know that there's a way forward. And to seize it and, and to reap the benefits that are possible. That's why the book's so significant. And uh, what, do you agree? Did you, what did you think of my description of just like this kind of
0: chronically stressed this chronically stressed out society that's forcing people to be stuck in fight or flight in a way and not even realizing it? Do you think there's
3: vote? Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I I think that, you know, we, we see all sorts of news accounts about what online comparisons are doing, particularly to young women. Uh, we see people who are extremely isolated, hence the uh, recent message from the attorney general. We see, you know, on a sociological and political basis that the country is ripped apart. People are feeling more vulnerable than ever before. Uh, I think all of those things are are, are taking place. Uh, that's why, as I said, I, I, I was reading the book. I was thinking about what was involved with the uh, things that you had experienced, for instance, and then the larger lens of all oh, the other people experience things that are comparable and how little they are being paid attention to. Um, and it, it just was, it was just was striking. And then finally it was overwhelming, but overwhelming in a way that gave a solution or a way forward. Yeah. I mean, preaching suicide is um, at an
0: all time high and you can look at the corollary. Either you have a corollary with the rise of Facebook and Instagram. The minute that comparison starts, and on the, on phones, the minute Instagram and Facebook, went, especially Instagram, went to phones, that's when you see this incredible rise created by the comparison. This is causing, you know, we just have not, our evolutionary biology is not designed to live uh,
3: in a digital instant information. Oh yeah, world. no. I, my my father once said to me that the the easiest way to drive yourself crazy is to be constantly comparing yourself to others. And now we we've, we've foisted on, on other people. And and the reason why my company is called Sensory Logic is because all the senses do matter tremendously, including touch. And what you brought up regarding that uh, probably explains why I'm in this field in part because my mother wasn't really ready to have me as a child. It was kind of a, a forced decision by my father to get married and an ultimatum. And uh, she wanted to continue her career, which wasn't so common in the silent generation era. So uh, my mother happily passed me off down the down the train, for instance, going home to mine in North Dakota to anyone who would take me. So, uh, what my percentage of of touch was, I don't know, but it certainly wasn't eighty five to ninety percent. Um, so, you no, know, every single thing that you've said ha- has resonated here. Um, we could probably go on endlessly, and we probably should even. But uh, in in respect to uh, Actually, uh, one last thing, you certainly okay. may. I just want to say that there's people listening to this and they're going, well, yeah,
0: I have some of those symptoms, but, you know, I never had trauma, but they are relating to the stress part, but they just can't believe that that would change their biology. Likelihood as it has, and explain that the science of that is actually with the physiology of that very clearly in the book. Okay. So, um, understand your coordinates and, uh, you know, I, I would just strongly encourage people to, um, take a look. And understand what's going on inside themselves, even if they if they relate to the symptoms, and, but they feel like they've never been, you know, directly traumatized.
3: You know, the the, the body will tell us a lot. I'll, I'll just maybe add one anecdote. So I, I'm at my dentist not long after I've started my company. And being an entrepreneur, as you know well, is is nothing if not stressful. And the guy says to me, uh, I just got to ask you, he said, what's your occupation? And I explained to him, he goes, ah, I get it. Okay. So I, I normally see, you know, the condition you're in. In trial lawyers and detectives, uh, you know, who are on dangerous assignments. And I said, "Well, I'm kind of on a dangerous assignment. It's called being an entrepreneur, uh, because the body will will manifest and, and bring to your attention inevitably, ultimately, uh, what that stress is doing to you." So I wanted, th- I want to thank you so much. I Jay, say for-
0: one more comment on that.
3: I just have to respond. It'll be a little long, but I think it's worth
0: it. Um, if the body keeps the score. The sympathetic nervous system is the scorekeeper. One of the things we explain in the book is how carrying that chronic allostatic load has a cascade of physical symptoms. Most of the physical symptoms, it, it is a primary cause of disease. It discombobulates the, if you're stuck in fight or flight, your biology, it discombobulates your immune system. You're more prone to get everything from an autoimmune disease to get cancer. So if the, I always, if the body keeps the score, um, this sympathetic nervous system, we explain how this is the scorekeeper. People should understand and know what's going on inside themselves.
3: Okay, fair enough. So, uh, Jamie, you've, you've been my, my guest. This is Jamie muster has been my guest here this morning on uh, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. We had for a while uh, Gene Lipoff, the, the doctor involved with the book. It's called The Invisible Machine, The starting, Startling Truth About Trauma and the Scientific Breakthrough That Can Transform Your Life. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In this case, I took one from Stephen Levine who said, To heal is to touch with love that which we previously touched with fear. Until next time, take care and be well. (laughs)